Hello, friends. Welcome to a bonus episode of Unboxing God with me, McCall. So last week, I was telling you about mysticism, and it got pretty deep. But what I didn't mention was one of the mystic masters that I really like. His name is Meister Eckert. He was born in 1260 and died in 1328. And he was influenced by Neoplatonism, which propagated a contemplative way of life, which points to the Godhead beyond the nameable God. This German theologian, philosopher, and mystic wrote on contemplative prayer. And it was those writings that actually helped me understand and kind of incorporate or attempt to incorporate the idea of loving detachment in my life. And that's a concept that I will definitely be exploring in another upcoming episode, likely to be called English Muffin Intimacy. Anyway, Eckhart's most famous single quote, the eye with which I see God is the same eye with which God sees me is commonly cited by thinkers within neo-paganism and ultimatist Buddhism as a point of overlap. Well, at least a point of contact between these traditions and Christian mysticism. Although he was an accomplished academic theologian, Eckert's best remembered works are his highly unusual sermons in the vernacular. Eckert, as a preaching friar, attempted to guide his flock as well as monks and nuns under his jurisdiction, with practical sermons on spiritual, even psychological, transformation. And absolutely any verse in the New Testament which metaphorically related to the, quote, creative power inherent in disinterest. Again, it's that 12-step idea of loving detachment, it's also a highly stoic practice that helps curb automatic knee-jerk reactions and allows me to replace my fire-ready-aim ways with more carefully considered choices. So the central theme of Eckert's German sermons is the presence of God in the individual soul and the dignity of the soul of the just man. Although he elaborated on this theme, he rarely departed from it. As Eckert said in his trial defense, yes, he was on trial, his sermons were meant to inspire in listeners the desire above all to do some good. In this effort, he frequently used unusual language or seemed to stray from the path of tradition and orthodoxy, which made him highly suspect to the church of the time. Institutionalized anything, religion or service, doesn't seem to care much for change, does it? It seems suspect that all change is a threat to their privilege in the status quo. Well, anyone who dares to sing different lyrics to their song may be labeled as a heretic and condemned, as Meister Eckert was. I, on the other hand, relish the remix of ideas, and in some way fancy this show an effort to kind of sample bits from all the great paths and remix a song of our own to a God of our personal understanding, regardless of their name or gender or even form. The 19th century philosopher Schopenhauer was influenced by the early translations of the Upanishads, 
which he called, quote, the consolation of my life. I encourage you to dig deeper into those Apanishads for yourself. Seriously, just Google that shit. Because my bonus episodes probably shouldn't have their own bonus episodes. I'm not going to go into it here. Anyhow, Schopenhauer compared Eckert's views to the teaching of Indian, Christian, and Islamic mystics and ascetics. Quote, if we turn from the forms produced by external circumstances and go to the root of things, we shall find that Sakyamuni and Meister Eckert teach the same thing, only that the former dared to express his ideas plainly and positively, whereas Eckert was obliged to clothe them in the garment of the Christian myth and to adapt his expressions thereto. Schopenhauer also stated, Buddha, Eckert, and I all teach essentially the same thing. And since my idea of God is currently kind of a Mr. or Mrs. Potato Head, combined of all the various faith walks that I myself have taken, and personal, dare I say mystical, experiences that I've had, it really makes sense that he would speak to my own journey. I hope he speaks to yours. I've discovered a new-to-me term, perennial philosophy, and it seems to precisely articulate what I'm searching for through this Unboxing God podcasting adventure. So perennial philosophy, it's also referred to as perennialism and perennial wisdom. It's a perspective in spirituality that views all of the world's religious traditions as sharing a single metaphysical truth or origin from which all esoteric and exoteric knowledge and doctrine has somehow grown. Perennialism has its roots in the Renaissance interest in Neoplatonism and its idea of the one from which all existence emanates. Giovanni Pico della Mirandola born in 1463, suggested that truth could be found in many rather than just two traditions. He proposed a harmony between the thought of Plato and Aristotle and saw aspects of the Prisca Theologia in the Quran, the Kabbalah, and so many other sources. A more popular interpretation argues for universalism, the idea that all religions, underneath seeming differences, point really to the same truth. In the early 19th century, the Transcendentalists propagated the idea of a mystical truth and universalism, which inspired the Unitarians, who proselytized among Indian elites. Towards the end of the 19th century, the Theosophical Society further popularized universalism, not only in the Western world, but also in Western colonies. In the 20th century, universalism was further popularized in the English-speaking world through the Neo-Vendata-inspired traditionalist school, which argued for a metaphysical single origin of the Orthodox religions, and by Aldous Huxley and his book, The Perennial Philosophy. FYI, the traditionalist vision of perennial wisdom is not based on mystical experiences, but on metaphysical intuitions. It is, quote, intuited directly through divine intellect. This divine intellect is different from reason. 
It makes it possible to discern, quote, the sacred unity of reality that is attested in all authentic esoteric expressions of tradition. It is the presence of divinity within each human being just waiting to be uncovered. And I really jibe with that idea. Until I got to the part where it said loose association with far-right movements. And to me, far-right basically equates to fascism, even Nazism. So, yeah, that's where I stopped. So a moment ago, I mentioned Aldous Huxley. He's a British writer, and you've probably heard of him, if not had to read his 1932 dystopian novel, Brave New World, for school. But he's the one who wrote Perennial Philosophy, the book, in 1945 the year my mom happened to have been born. It is a, quote, comparative study of mysticism. It illustrates commonalities between the Western and Eastern mysticism and is both deep and intense, if you're also into that kind of thing. Side note, Aldous Huxley was nominated for the Nobel Prize in Literature seven times. And though he was born and is buried in the UK, He lived out his final 26 years in my hometown of Los Angeles. And it was here, in the spring of 1953, where he had his first mescaline-induced mystical experience. Check out The Doors of Perception, a book he wrote about that experience. Well, Huxley's introduction to perennial philosophy begins like this. The metaphysic that recognizes a divine reality substantial to the world of things and lives and minds, the psychology that finds in the soul something similar to, or even identical with, divine reality, the ethic that places man's final end in the knowledge of the imminent and transcendent ground of all being. The thing is immemorial and universal. Rudiments of the perennial philosophy may be found among the traditionary lore of primitive people in every religion of the world, and in its fully developed forms, it has a place in every one of the higher religions. A version of this highest common factor in all preceding and subsequent theologies was first committed to writing more than 25 centuries ago, and since that time, the inexhaustible theme has been treated again and again from the standpoint of every religious tradition and in all the principal languages of Asia and Europe. In the next paragraph, Huxley summarizes the problem a little more succinctly by saying, knowledge is a function of being. In other words, if you're not suited to knowing something, you don't know it. This makes knowing the, quote, ground of all being pretty difficult in Huxley's view. Personally, I find Waldo much easier to say than the ground of all being, so I'm going to stick with that. Therefore, Huxley concludes his introduction with this quote. If one is not oneself a sage or a saint, the best thing one can do in the field of metaphysics is to study the works of those who were and who, because they had modified their merely human mode of being, were capable of a more than merely human kind and amount of knowledge. 
So that, my dear friends, is precisely what I am trying to do with this platform. Study those much smarter and better than I. So there you have it. Meister Eckert and perennial wisdom. You know, I'm curious. Are there any mystics you dig? Are there any people that you dig that you might consider a mystic, but others might not? I'd really like to hear about them and explore them with you, or by myself. However, I'm not quite mystical enough yet to read your mind, so I'm going to need you to send me an email or give me a call. You can reach the show by sending an email to waldolovesme at gmail.com or calling waldolove3. W-A-L-D-O-L-O-V-E and the number three. We will be back next week for a full episode. To talk a little bit more about mysticism, we're going to talk about induced mystical experiences. Drugs. So come back next Tuesday and join me for a full episode of Unboxing God with McCall.